0: You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So we are in a period of Israel's story, a hundred years after Magi and Zechariah. The temple now has been rebuilt, and a prophet by the name of Malachi comes on the scene. He's coming to speak the Jewish people, who had returned to the land from exile in Babylon, living under the rule of Persia, but at least their temple has been rebuilt. And if you're keeping up with your Bible history and your timeline, this is what we might call the period of the second temple, right? Or the second temple period. Um, And even though it's been rebuilt, the promises of God's glory filling the temple have gone unfulfilled. It hasn't quite materialized as it seems the people of Israel would like. And so Malachi comes to a people who feel as though they are discouraged. That God's presence isn't quite as clear as they thought it would be. That the temple is an empty sign of promise yet unfulfilled. And so he comes to them. As a discouraged people, and he has a word for them, and the word for them is filled with imagery and filled with promise. And it's meant to be filled with hope. And one of the words he has for the people of God comes to us in Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and he says, or the Lord says through his mouth: Look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Now we've come to believe sitting on this side of the cross and on this side of the story that this messenger that Yahweh had promised was a man by the name of John. And we believe this because, well, that's what Jesus believed. That's what Jesus said. In Luke chapter 7, verse 26 and 27, Jesus says, "Where well, you're looking for a prophet. Yes, he's more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the Scriptures refer when, he, when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. This is John the Baptizer, sometimes known as John the Baptist. That was very confusing to me growing up. Because he didn't grow a Baptist. And he used to wonder why we're not Baptist like John. But then I realized that he was called the Baptist because he baptized folks. And I was like, okay, so John the Baptizer in our society it makes a little more sense for those of us who don't have quite the familiarity with the story. And he's the messenger that was promised by Malachi. But it's important that you realize this is not the only thing Malachi says about the messenger. That he's going to do more than just come and prepare the way. Malachi describes the kind of ministry he's going to have. So, if you will, Malachi chapter 3, look at, look at verse 2 again. We read it, but look at verse 2. Or actually, we didn't read it. Now we're going to read verse 2. And he says this He says, But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Talk about the messenger. Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal, or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He'll purify the Levites, which is the priesthood, refining them like gold and silver, so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. I mean, I don't know how you read that, but if I said to you, my friend's going to come to your house, and you're like, okay, and I said, but who can endure it when he comes? (laughs) Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? He's going to be like a blazing fire that refines metal. He can burn your house. I mean, you know, like that's not a very appealing kind of like, well, let's look for that guy. That guy sounds pleasant. (laughs) When we spend time with the prophets during this Advent season, we're always going to be reintroduced to John. And we're reminded of John's truth-telling ministry. And it was probably from his dad, who's a priest named Zechariah, a priest of God's people, that he learned his truth-telling ministry from. Because when Zechariah found out he was going to have a baby, a boy that would be John, he prophesied this himself in Luke chapter 1 verse 76. He said, you child will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare the way. You will tell his people how to be liberated through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's deep compassion, the dawn from heaven will break upon us. To give light, listen, to give light to those who are sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet to the path of peace. Now I can deal with that guy more than I can the guy who I can't endure and his face is going to be like blazing fire or whatever. John knew, it seems, that preparing the way for God's people to see the light, to see the light that can guide them to the path of peace even as they sit in darkness even as they sit in the shadow of death, meant that he must be bold in his belief that God can do what seems impossible. What I appreciate about John, even during Advent, is his boldness in the face of all of it. Even his boldness in the face of conflict. He didn't hesitate to enter into conflict. And if you remember, he didn't hesitate to enter into ethical debates, whether it was calling his hearers to humble generosity or political and religious leaders to repentance. And what strikes me the most about John's ministry is how John didn't even hesitate to call King Herod to repentance. John's concern wasn't the ruler's legislative policies for Galilee, even though he was concerned about them. His concern was his moral character while holding ruling power. Y'all know what I'm saying? And John's desire to see righteous and godly character in the lives of those who claimed righteousness and claimed godliness especially people in positions of leadership, had no boundaries. Mm -hmm. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. Unjust is unjust. Immoral is immoral. And John longed for truth and for all to know God's goodness and justice. And he wasn't afraid to call out Anyone, especially a politician who confessed Yahweh was his God. Come on. Now that'll preach. Yep. Come on. But if it preaches, you probably land in prison like John. And if you preach it too much, you might end up with your head on a platter like John. See, the story of salvation and liberation John learned from his dad, Zechariah, meant that newness is possible. And that the newness of God making all things new was going to come in the Messiah. And listen, this newness would reorder society's expectations and understanding of what the path of peace would look like. Yeah. And we listen to John. And if we do, we'll hear John reminding us that God will act in us, through us, beyond us, more than we imagine, because newness is always on its way and will include a life-giving power from God that offers a peace that can settle the soul and change society. Amen. 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 That's right. come on. Now, listen to how Luke tells the story in Luke chapter 3, verse 7. Here's the story. When the crowds come to John for baptism, he says to them, You children are snakes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he says. Who warns you to flee from the common wrath? First off, they come into your baptism and you're talking about their mom and daddy, right? Like your children are snakes. He didn't call them snakes. He said your mom and daddy are snakes. Look at John with his mama jokes. And so he says in verse 8, he says, Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. What John is saying is, I hear you confess with your lips but I want to see it with your life. Come on, that's right, yeah. man. Children of snakes. I mean, really, what if I did that? I was like, welcome, welcome, beloved children of snakes. The Williamsburg Christian Church. Like, right? Like, John, John is, I mean, no wonder why the whole who can endure him statement is starting to make sense, right? So he goes on, he says, don't just say to each other, we are safe because we're descendants of Abraham. In other words, don't just say I was born in church. Right. Don't just say my daddy built this church, therefore I'm all right. Don't just say I am of this nationality or this. Like, don't just lean into your descendancy and see that as a form of privilege that lets you off the hook Amen. of practicing the faith you confess. Yeah. Come on. That's right. Come on. And so he says to them, he says, he says, I mean, this is a this brother's offensive. Then he says, that means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, he goes on to say, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. That's That's right. And so the crowd's response is... Honest. They were like, what do we do? Like, What should we do? Now, I want you to notice in this text, John doesn't say, pray harder. Nope. Forgot that the whole time. Don doesn't just say, read the Bible more. Right. John doesn't say, go do praise and worship. Now, I'm pro-prayer, Bible reading, praise and worship. But John doesn't say that. What John says, you want to know what to do? John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors, Luke tells us, came to be baptized. And they asked, teacher, what do we do? And he replies to them, Collect no more taxes than the government requires. In other words, stop robbing folks. Amen. That's right. What do we do? Some of the soldiers asked. Mm-hmm. He says, "Well, don't extort money or make false accusations, and be content with your pay." That's right. Well, come on. Verse fifteen. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon, and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. And John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. John used, Luke says, many such warnings as he announced the good news (laughs) to the people. I got good news to you children of snakes. Verse 19. John also publicly, everybody say publicly, Publicly. (laughs) criticized Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee. For marrying Herodias, his wife, and for many other wrongs he had done. John, stay out of politics. You're supposed to just preach the gospel. Well, the gospel's got something to say to your politics. And so Herod put John in prison, adding that sin to his many others. John the Baptizer, everybody. The path of peace that Zechariah prophesied John would guide their feet to with this truth-telling ministry of liberation. A gospel that spoke to every life about all aspects of life was not the path of peace people were looking for. And so they tried to silence him, especially those with power and privilege. They tried to have him arrested and even did that and eventually had him killed. The people that heard John were walking a different path to a different expectation of peace. And John's message was that if people want to be baptized in the life-giving power of God and experience a peace that can settle the soul and change society, they have to walk a different path than the one they are on. They have to walk the path that requires of them hospitality, that requires of them generosity. So he tells them to share their resources and possessions with others. If you want to know what to do, he said, if you want to know what peace looks like, so that you can know what it feels like, and the power that it has among us, then share your resources. Come on, I'll preach it. Come on, tell us about it. And he says... This is the way to the Lord that is to come. And this is the path of peace that came with too high a price for some. And it's the path of peace that did not align with their expectations of what makes peace possible. Sadly, many of them had forgotten how God's peace works. Over the course of time, they were... Immersed in a vision of the world. Listen, please. They were immersed in a vision of the world that revolved around getting and gaining, gripping and grasping. And they were, expected, they were expecting a path of peace that would look more like power and privilege. Because that's what they thought would bring peace more power, which gets you more privilege. And the way to get more power and more privilege is to grip and grasp and gain and get. That's the story of the text. (laughs) And they were expecting a path of peace far different from the path of peace John was pointing them to and that Jesus would lead them through. And i got to tell you, I can appreciate why, personally. I mean... When you look at their world that they were in, something was terribly wrong in their world. Yeah. For most of them, Herod is not the king God had promised. Mm-hmm. So then why is he the king? Foreigners had first come from far away with hatred in their eyes and weapons in their hands, and now they ruled them, the Roman Empire. And they're offering a Pax Romana, a peace of Rome. That doesn't feel like peace at all. Right. Because... Just functionally speaking, for them, the taxes are too high. And the resources are too thin. And 3% holds most of it. That's what the data tells us in their day. In their day. And their expectations were set on a different piece. And it was so set on a different kind of peace, beloved, that they could not see the peace John was trying to point them to. Mm -hmm. And when you can no longer see the Lord's path of peace, it is because you no longer remember the Lord's promises. And when you no longer remember the Lord's promises, you are left with having to figure out your own path to what you think is peace. Mm. Mm. What John is also trying to help them see is that if they would turn their eyes off of their own expectations and understanding of peace and walk away from the path of power and privilege that they think leads to peace, that they would see that even there, God is always working. The Lord is always acting, but the Lord is never in a hurry. Because the Lord is not anxious. The Lord is not stressed. The Lord is actually the only one who could hashtag too blessed to be stressed. I just want to be clear with that. Like, like only the Lord could really, like, really, the Lord's like, for real, y'all. Come so I on. <laughs> What we learned from the prophet Malachi's words, which happened many generations ago, is that when the Lord spoke to Malachi, the Lord was not in a hurry to lift John up to prepare the way of the Lord. Because yeah. John didn't come till generations later. But the Lord was always acting. The Lord was not in a hurry to come and save us. But the Lord was always acting. The Lord is not in a hurry to provide for you. But the Lord will provide because the Lord is always acting. Yes, mm-hmm. That's right. The Lord only asks, it seems, that we walk forward in trust but not just along any path. Mm-hmm. Along the path, yes. the path of peace. The path of peace. The path of of peace making not peace keeping john was not a peace keeper if he would have been a peace keeper he'd have kept his politics to himself he would have kept his religion to himself he would have kept his torah to himself he would have not called his followers children of snakes Peacekeeping is easy because it doesn't cost us anything. But peacemaking, peacemaking costs something. Peacemaking costs us one of our two coats when we encounter someone who doesn't have one. Peacemaking costs us some food when we find someone who doesn't have some. Peacemaking costs us some time. And you want to know why we're peacemakers? Because we have the peace of Christ in us. That's right. Amen. You want to know why I believe we have the peace of Christ in us? Because we have the Holy Spirit in us. And you know what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit? That the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And for some of us right now, the peace is about that big. And that's hard when it's only that big. But I need you to hear me for a minute. Some of us don't even believe. Hear me, please. Some of us do not believe the peace is even that big. But now we got to do the works of facts over feelings. Because if you have the Spirit of God in you, the peace of God is in you. And it may be just a flicker. It may be just a very, very faint light Flicker, But it is a flicker nonetheless. And all it takes is a spark to light a fire. Right. But here's the problem. Many of us are trying to fan this peace into a flame by better Bible study and better prayer. And I am pro-Bible study and pro-prayer. I won't be real clear. But that's not what John said. Right. Bible study and prayer need to happen. But you know what fans this flame of peace is when we don't just sit with it and hold it, but when we walk in it. That's right. And when we walk in it, it's got to look like something. That's right. And looking like something means when we see someone without a coat and we have two, we give one. That's right. Or when we see someone without a coat and we've only got one, we get one because we can go buy another. That's right. That's right. That's right. When we see someone without food, we give some and we invite them to share it with us. When we see someone who's sitting alone, we don't let them sit alone unless they want to sit alone, and we sit with them. Yes. Come on. That fans the flame of peace inside of us. So many of us think that peace that comes from our faith is about an absence of chaos that is just about a peace of mind or a peace of heart. But when Scripture says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts it's inviting us to a transformed way of life. Because peace in the Hebrew tradition was never just an individualistic peace. Peace in the Hebrew tradition is tied to this word shalom. And shalom means human flourishing, well-being. It means wholeness. And so if I have the peace of Christ in me because the Spirit of God is in me, and even if it's just a small flickering flame, when Latanya brings the peace of Christ in her that may be even for her a small flickering flame into my life and entering into the hard things of my life that is smothering that flame of peace, she brings her flame to my flame and guess what those two flames create? A bigger flame. And then she begins to flourish and I begin to flourish because neither one of us are alone in the moment that we're in and the light is burning brighter. And then comes along Clay with his flickering flame. Comes along Casey and Casey's flame ain't flickering. She is hashtag too blessed to be stressed. So her flame's on fire. And she walks in and she sits with us and there it is. And the flame takes off and the more and more we come together, the brighter the flame grows. And that is the idea of the peace that comes from the Advent season, which is why we're talking about it as a church. It's not just enough for you to have a settled soul. That is good and beautiful, and that's what God wants for you. But what God wants for you is to bring that settled soul to my settled soul into an unsettled society and show them what a non-anxious presence looks like. Show them what the reign of Christ can look like. Show them what the God who provides can look like. Show them what peace in a world of bullets and bombs, can look like, show them what hospitality can look like, show them what generosity can look like in a world that is gripping and grasping and gaining and getting, but we become a people who are giving because we lit the candle of peace and we said, in a world where none of this seems possible, we believe it is because God can do the impossible. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.